Happy Sabbath, everyone. I'm thankful to be worshiping with all of you here this morning. We have a few new faces, some returning faces, and the normal, regular family that's here every Sabbath. And we're so happy to have all of you here. Um, so I'd like to just pray very shortly, very briefly, one last time before we begin. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit upon this room. May your presence be felt, Lord. And I pray that you would please be with this message. Help, help everyone in this room to gain a blessing from it. And may your Holy Spirit speak, we pray, to each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, what happened? Came King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Yes, and that is how the story in the book of Daniel starts. So, imagine... You're a, you're a young person. You're in Jerusalem. And a not very friendly neighbor comes o over and surrounds the city with soldiers. There's no way in. There's no way out. You can't get food from the fields. You can't get water from the well at your home in the countryside. You're stuck for months. Can you imagine being cooped up in a city for months on end? No television, no computers, no internet, nothing to keep you busy. <laughs> You're just cooped up in a city without anything to do. And then, eventually, the city surrenders. Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and he's like, yes, I've conquered all. And what's the very next thing he does? My God is bigger than your God, because I just beat you guys. And so he goes into the temple, and he carries away a bunch of furniture from the temple off to Babylon. But he doesn't just take furniture. He also takes the best and the brightest minds he can find. And it just so happens that Daniel and his three friends wind up in that group. We pick up the story in Daniel chapter 1, verse 4, 3. And the king spoke unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge, 
and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So there was his selection criteria. He was there to pick out the best, the brightest. Daniel and his three friends got chosen, and they were appointed the daily provision of the king's meat and the wine which he drank, and immediately Daniel and his three friends run into trouble because they aren't used to eating that, those things at home. They were raised on a diet that was simpler, food that was healthier for them, wholesome. And they were at the mercy of a foreign, a foreign kingdom. They didn't have the choice to go to, ne go to Babylon or not. They had to go. They weren't given a choice. Well, you can eat this food or you can eat whatever else you want. No, this food by the people in Babylon was considered to be the best. You know, all bright minds needed this kind of food in order to stay healthy and sharp. At least that's what they thought. They just didn't know, did they? And so we see the first instance where Daniel has to use wisdom in how he deals with the situation. And you know the story. He tells Ashpenaz, well, you know, we'd really like to eat a simpler diet, but we'd like you to give it a test, just 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, if we're looking sick and weak and like we're not going to be able to study, then you win. But at the end of 10 days, if we're stronger and healthier because we're eating this simpler diet, then you'll, you'll, let us, you'll let us slide. And so the story goes. Then in the next chapter, and we all know what happens with Daniel. Daniel and his three friends at the end of their course of study, eating their simpler, healthier food, trusting in God, praying to him every day, they're found wiser and smarter than all the other students in the Babylonian kingdom. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, the Nebuchadnezzar dreamed a dream, and he couldn't interpret it. He couldn't figure out what it meant. And so he threatened to kill all the wise men in Babylon because they couldn't, actually he didn't just threaten, he decreed to kill all the wise men in Babylon because they couldn't tell him the dream or its interpretation. But Daniel and his three friends prayed. And they prayed to God asking for wisdom to understand what he was trying to tell the king of Babylon. Then, when the Lord revealed it to them, Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him that he, Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel, Daniel 2, verse 19, in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, 
and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to those who know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might, and hast made known unto me what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch and said unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. I will show the king the interpretation. And then in verse 26, the king is like, Daniel, how, how do you know the dream? Like, how are you able to show me the interpretation? How do, I, how do I know this is legitimate? And Daniel answered and said, The secret which you want to know, the wise men, the soothsayers, the magicians, the astrologers, they can't show you. But there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets and makes known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. Ah, the king couldn't remember his dream. And so the dream was revealed unto Daniel. I misspoke. So Daniel revealed to the king one of the greatest prophecies of time and history. Going all the way from King Nebuchadnezzar's day, all the way down to the end of the world, when the stone cut out without hands, that kingdom, that rock, which is Christ, would come and crush all earthly powers and set up a kingdom that would never be destroyed. It's an amazing story. I really, really, really like Daniel's story. It's one of my favorites. It's just, it's just incredible. And every step of their way throughout their journey in Babylon, from the time they're taken all the way up until they graduate from university, until... Daniel reveals the king's dream to him all the way through to when Daniel's three friends get tried and thrown into a fiery furnace. And then later, the king becomes proud and Daniel tells him, if you continue being proud, then the God of heaven is going to cut you down and make you eat grass like a beast for seven years. And sure enough, he didn't humble himself, and he wound up eating grass like a beast and being a real royal embarrassment <laughs> to Babylon. You know, it was, they weren't proud of the fact that their mighty, powerful, strong king was now eating grass in the backyard. That, that wasn't exactly a very great thing to be proud of. And then Belshazzar, he has a feast, and there's a writing on the wall, and it's in Hebrew. But the only person who can understand it is Daniel. And then kingdoms switch. Cyrus comes in, along with Darius the Mede. So Darius comes in, conquers Babylon. Cyrus becomes the ruler. And Daniel winds up surviving the transition. He wasn't, he wasn't one of the ones that went down with, with Belshazzar. Instead, he gets to survive the transition, and he winds up being 
counselor to the king, almost second in command, for long, a longer span of time than any of the Babylonian kings. He has more influence on Babylonian policy, rule, and, and ultimately culture than any king was able to have during that time, both throughout Babylon's time and into the beginning of um, Medo-Persia's reign. And so we see what can happen when we're connected to God and pursuing wisdom. Not just the wisdom you get from books or school, but the wisdom that only God can give. And that's why today I'd like us to jump into a short Bible study, medium-length Bible study, into Proverbs, a book full of wisdom, and focused on the wisdom that comes from above, not just the wisdom of earth. You see, wisdom isn't isn't smarts, it isn't intelligence, it isn't knowledge. Wisdom is knowledge applied. So you can be really smart and have a really high IQ. And having a high IQ will help because the definition of IQ is the ability to consume, retain, and apply knowledge. So Technically, IQ is supposed to be how well you can learn stuff, remember it over time, and apply it to the situations you have in life. And the application part of it is wisdom. But IQ tests, as they're typically done, don't actually test those things very well. Um, so it's not IQ as a number. It's not. your ability to relate to people, although that's also a factor. It's not how much you studied or whether you have your PhD. Wisdom is knowing how to apply the right knowledge you've learned to the situation that you're in today, right now, or you could be in tomorrow, right? So that's, that's real wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is split into several sections. So now turn to the book of Proverbs, if you would. Now, I've been studying Proverbs for a while now. The first nine chapters of Proverbs are like long, continuous poems. So it's like one poem after another poem after another poem, and they all are trying to teach a lesson. Then you get to chapters like, 10 through 22. And those chapters are like disconnected verses, uh, you know, and tidbits of advice. So they might, it's, it's almost like a collection of wise sayings. Next verse isn't related to the verse before or the verse that comes after it usually. So usually it's, it's just discontent, disconnected 
short snippets is done. Then chapters 22 through 24 is referred to as the sayings of the wise. So it's a collection of wise sayings from various wise people. Then chapter 25 through 29 returns to more like long didactic poems, teaching you know where the next verse is building on the previous one and it, and it goes forth. And then there's a couple of chapters that are, um, that are contributed by authors other than Solomon, including the last one, chapter 31, which is um, the, the wise teachings of King Lemuel, um, King Lemuel's mother that he's passing on in this chapter, uh, chapter Proverbs 31. The first nine chapters kind of focus on instruction to the young, like as he's addressing his audience as my son, or he'll say like, listen, my children, or listen, my son, um, over and over. It's as if Solomon is speaking to his sons in those first few chapters. Um, then the last chapters of poems, it's both young and old being addressed. It'll say, it'll talk to both. And then everyone is talked to, or people in specific situations are spoken to throughout the rest of the book. Um, I'm currently in, in chapter 20 in my studies and my devotions. And it's, it's incredible, like the little, little pieces of wisdom that are in there. There's also some really interesting scientific research showing that the study of the Bible, but specifically, specifically going through the Proverbs. Um, the Proverbs aren't always really easy to understand. Some of the, some of the texts in Proverbs, they're, they're not super straightforward in what they mean or how they apply to my life. So you kind of have to wrestle with it a bit. Like, what is this really trying to say? What's the lesson behind this verse, right? Uh, like, just take, for instance, Proverbs 16, verse, verse um, 24, for instance. 16, 24. Pleasant words are as honey comb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. So there's, there's a pretty easy superficial knowledge here. The heart, um, that is really nice when people speak pleasant words. And all of us have learned this through experience, right? When people say something nice and encouraging to us, doesn't it make like such a difference in how we feel inside? You know that warm feeling you get when someone says something that's truly, genuinely nice, right? Well, pleasant words are as honeycomb. They're sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Research has actually shown that being happy, content, satisfied actually increases your, your hematopoietic factors 
and the ability of your bone marrow to produce blood cells. Both, your, both the immune system cells that you need in order to fight disease and the bacteria that we encounter every day in life, but also the red blood cells that carry oxygen from our lungs all to every part of our body. All of those functions are increased and do better when we're happy and we're healthy. Because you remember a merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones, literally dries up the bones. It actually degrades our ability to produce the blood cells that we need to be healthy. Um, when we have a broken spirit or a, or a crushed spirit. So here, when Solomon is saying pleasant words are sweet, he's not just talking about the good feelings that we get when, when someone says something nice to us or when we say something nice to someone else and it cheers up their day. You know, that makes you feel really good. But it's also actually helping them to be healthier. That's why death and life are in the power of the tongue. Yes. You know, that's why I think Solomon spent so much time talking about the power of words. Words can really carry a lot of power. Um, and, and this is just one example of that. And you'd go down, skip down a couple more verses, and you see an ungodly man digs up evil, and in his lips is a burning fire. So here you can see that those who don't have God at the center of their lives will oftentimes focus on digging up the worst in people. And we've all met that person who can always find out the worst gossip that's going on. They can dig up what's bad, you know, with someone. They can, they can like, really pick you apart. And, that, and then those words can destroy reputations. They can destroy friendships. Um, and Solomon lays it out plain and says, only ungodly men do this. This is not the way of Christ. So there's all of these snippets of wisdom, but to really unpack it and apply it to my life, you know, what kinds of words am I saying to my wife? Am I making sure that she has lots of health in her bones? <laughs> you know, producing lots of good blood cells? Or, or, am, I, or, or am, I, am I sucking out the energy? You know? What am I saying to the neighbor down the street? The guy who was walking by and is really struggling. My stone neighbor that we found taking stuff from my garage. <laughs> you know, what am I saying to him? How am I addressing him? Am I encouraging him or am I going to be dragging him down? You know? Um, it's, the, these, are, these are lessons. And digging in to these lessons and applying them to my life has been proven scientifically to help be depression, and strengthen the frontal lobe. 
because it requires critical reasoning skills. It requires using, using your prefrontal cortex in order to understand what it means and how it applies to me. It exercises it. And like any good muscle, when your brain gets exercised, it gets stronger. That's why I'm reading Proverbs. It's because I need a stronger brain. You know, I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not the smartest guy around. And oftentimes, even if I happen to be the smartest guy, I'm not the wisest guy. <laughs> you know, and so um, I, I really definitely need the Lord's wisdom in my life. And that's why, that's why I'm talking about Proverbs today in this sermon. It's because I think we can all use wisdom. And James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and without reproach, abradeth not. God will give us the wisdom that we need. So let's dig into Proverbs in the last 10, 15 minutes here. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation the words of the wise, and their dark sayings. This is the purpose of Solomon's writings here in Proverbs. Right here, first six verses. It says, to know wisdom, to receive instruction, to give subtlety, to understand a proverb. These were the goals that Solomon laid out for the book of Proverbs. So, if you want to know wisdom, instruction, words of understanding. If you want to know what justice really looks like and judgment and equity, what's fair and right and good, this is a good place to go looking. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Over and over throughout Proverbs, Solomon repeats these words. The fear of the Lord is the beginning or the end or the middle or the center of wisdom. Because true wisdom comes from above. Verse 8 and 9, parental instruction. Verse 10, don't follow, hang out with, or go along with sinners. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. And in fact, all through the next 10 verses, um, nine verses, Solomon essentially repeats this point. And it's, it, it reminds me of Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way, the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law, 
in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate, meditate day and night. And he shall be, he shall be like a tree, like a tree, planted by the rivers of water. And he shall be, he shall be like a tree, like a tree, that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper, and he shall be, shall be like a tree, like a tree, planted by the rivers of water. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. I mean, that's how David begins Psalm chapter 1. And it's, it's a psalm that starts with, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of the scornful. Just watch your associations, who you're spending time with, who you hang out with. It makes a big difference. It, you know, it, it's been said, show me your friends and I'll tell you your character or your destiny or, you know, there's, there's a lot of things you can determine by looking at who your friends are. Verse 20, then here Solomon starts speaking about wisdom almost as if she's an individual. Wisdom cries without and utters her voice in the streets. She cries in, this, in the chief place, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in scorning. Down to verse 33. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. This is amazing. Also compare that verse there in verse 33, um, 31 through 33. Compare it with Isaiah 55, the first about five, six verses. Um, there's some really neat parallels there. Chapter 2, my son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee. Verse 5, then shall you understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. Out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He lays up sound wisdom for the righteous he is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. When wisdom enters into thine heart and knowledge is pleasant unto your soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. This is incredible. You know, Jeremiah 29, verses 13 and 14 says, If ye seek me, ye shall find me. If ye shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, says the Lord. And I will turn again your captivity and bring you from all the nations whither I have, sent thee, whither I have driven thee as captives. So like in, in Jeremiah 29, just two verses after 
For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end or give you a future and a a hope and a future. Right after that, that verse, two verses later, he says, and if you seek me, you will find me. And right here, Solomon says the exact same thing about wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom. And if you seek for wisdom as silver, verse 4, and search for her as for hid treasures, then you shall understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. And according to James, he gives it liberally to anyone who knows they need it and want it. Wisdom. Godly true source of wisdom. Eve, Eve pursued wisdom. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Here, the serpent in the tree has been distorting the words of God and trying to make Eve disobey, disregard, and distrust God and succeeds. And notice what the woman was thinking. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to what? Make one wise. She took of the fruit and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Made themselves aprons. To cover themselves. So ever since Eve, men have pursued wisdom. You have You've had entire cults focused around understanding and obtaining wisdom. The Chaldeans, they they were the first to use writing, but also the reason they used writing was to write down and, and keep their collection of wisdom. People have spent their entire lives pursuing wisdom to be wise. The Greeks were all about wisdom. They wanted to understand the mysteries of the universe. That was their pursuit. Their goal was to understand wisdom. But all of these people were seeking to understand wisdom the way Eve sought to understand wisdom. Eve disobeyed God to gain wisdom. And it was a wisdom. It wasn't wisdom. It was knowledge of evil that she gained. She gained a knowledge of evil, but not a wi- not true wisdom. She didn't actually understand God's will better because of what she did. And that's true wisdom. We're going to get there. But true wisdom is understanding the Lord's will. 
for our lives. She gained a false wisdom, which was a knowledge of good and evil. And ever since, there has been a misguided, misdirected pursuit of knowledge, a knowledge of evil. Israel was given commandments, statutes, guidelines, rules. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6, God tells them why he was giving them all these statutes, rules, and, and regulations. And he says, these will be your wisdom among all the nations. Why? Because it revealed God's will for how their society was to operate. And when the other nations saw how well-governed Israel was, and how they had just statutes, and they had um, just government and judgments as compared to what the systems that were found in their neighboring countries, they would go, whoa, that people is a just, equitable, merciful, righteous people. And it was to be their wisdom among all the nations. Moses one of the last things he does before he dies at the end of Deuteronomy is recorded a lament where he speaks about Israel. And he says, oh, if only you had understood the wisdom that God wanted to teach you. Deuteronomy chapter 32, specifically verse 29. If you read the whole chapter, and you might want to be taking notes because I'm not actually going to, I don't have time to go into every single one of these references. Joseph, when he re reveals the king's dream to him. In fact, there's only two people other than Jesus that are excellent examples of wisdom in the Bible throughout their entire lives. And those two people are Joseph and Daniel. That's one of the reasons they're some of my favorite Bible characters. It's because they really exemplified wisdom in their day-to-day -day lives. Joseph um, when he revealed it to the king, he said, set somebody wise over the preparations for the coming famine. And the king said, well, I don't know anyone wiser than you, <laughs> so I'm going to set you in charge. Solomon, he offered a sacrifice to God, and God said, I'll give you anything you want. And what did he say? Give me an understanding heart so that I can rule these people correctly. And God said, because you wanted wisdom, true understanding, I'm going to give you everything else too, but I'm going to give you wisdom. And that's why Solomon is known as the wisest person who ever lived, and that's why he has a book that's mostly his writings in Proverbs. Psalm 19, verse 7. Part of a scripture song, but it's a long scripture song. I won't sing it for you. <laughs> it's a very long scripture song. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The source of wisdom truly is the Lord. Daniel demonstrated this in his life. But not only did Daniel demonstrate it in his life, Daniel said something very interesting in Daniel chapters 11 and 12. 
I love prophecy, so this is why I have to insert this. Daniel chapter 11, verse 33. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll skip the Daniel 11 verses. Daniel chapter 12, starting verse 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Verse 10. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall what? Understand. But the wise shall understand. The prophecies of the book of Daniel were prophesied to not be understood by the world, but only to be understood by God's people in their true and full meaning. It was the wise who were to understand. Why? Because the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. And the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. Hosea 14, verse 9, the ways of the Lord are right and, and wise as well. Who came to see Jesus when he was born? The shepherds came to see Jesus when he was born, but so did the wise men. They were truly wise. Now, they were also worldly wise according to the countries that they came from. But because they sought for the wisdom that came from above and a knowledge from, of God from the studies of the scriptures, they were also wiser than all of the Pharisees and rulers in Israel. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. The wise man, what? Builds on a rock. That was our special music. The wise man builds on the rock. The foolish man builds on the sand. But turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Because Jesus interprets the wise man, foolish man parable in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. The wise man built on the rock. And who is the rock? Jesus Christ. So those who build on the words and sayings of Jesus Christ and do them are the wise ones who built on the rock. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 is a series of three parables that show the condition of God's people all the way through until he comes again. 
And the first of those parables is the wise and the foolish virgins. What made the difference between the wise virgins and the foolish virgins? Extra oil. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit that made the difference between being a foolish and a wise virgin. Both of them knew the bridegroom was coming. Both of them knew Jesus was coming again. Both the wise and the foolish virgin were waiting. Both of them had lamps. Both of them knew the gospel message. Both of them had an intellectual understanding of the truth. But it was the Holy Spirit's presence in their life that made the difference between the wise and the foolish virgins. Both the wise and the foolish also slept. But it was only the wise that were ready for the wedding. Romans 11, 25, and 12, 16 warn us not to be wise in our own eyes. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that we should be wise. And in order to be wise, we need to understand the Lord's will. Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17. In the end... Solomon wrote, at the end of his life, a sad book called Ecclesiastes. And he said, let us hear the whole conclusion of the matter. Fear God. We hear that echoed in Revelation chapter 14. Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come. Today, more than ever before, the Lord needs us to be wise, not in our own eyes, not in our own estimation, but wise in understanding his will for us and the world at this time in earth's history. So if you want to be wise and ready for Christ's soon coming, then bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, you've been so good to us, and Lord, we pray that you would grant us the wisdom from above, for we truly need it. Lord, I need your spirit. I need a better understanding of your will for my life and for my community, and I pray that you would you would grant us your Holy Spirit, the wisdom that comes from above, from studying your word and your precepts and your principles and your purposes. Lord, be with us now as we head into our fellowship meal. For we pray these things and ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.